Hi everyone, welcome back to Roll for Enterprise with my friends Mike and Zach. As ever, we'll be going through the news about Enterprise IT in the last week or so. But this week, we, well, quite frankly, we hadn't done our homework. It's uh, crazy busy for us. I don't know how it is for you out there, but all of us seem to be just ridiculously busy. So we wanted to take it a step back, a little bit more high level, a little bit more strategic, and talk about cloud, but not just the specifics, but the generalities, the goals. What are people actually trying to do with the cloud? In the early days of cloud, and I can legitimately claim to have been there right around day one uh, with the the dogs versus the puppies versus cattle analogies and all of those fun things. It was all about a raw infrastructure components. So people were treating the cloud as just a different delivery mechanism for VMs. People were treating it as just the new wave of outsourcing, outsourcing with uh, a nice or not even outsourcing, more like a colo, but with a nicer interface on front and, of course, much more reactive. And my theory is that there's still a certain amount of that going on, but new ways of doing clouds have emerged in the intervening mumble years. People are just architecting their apps differently. They're assuming a cloud-native world and that cloud is something that's available to them. The units of measure of computing uh, has changed, at least conceptually. That doesn't mean that the old apps have all gone away. As we know, legacy takes a long time to, to disappear, to migrate, to change, uh, simply because of all of the different factors that keep it legacy. But anything new that's being built now is being built in a different world, according to different paradigms than occurred back then. Maybe, Mike, let's start with you. Do you see this change occurring? Where do you think we're at on the curve of cloud adoption, as in true cloud adoption, adopting it as a different way of doing things? What do you think? Yeah, and, you know, if you go back to some episodes when we had Presidio on, you talk about kind of companies who want to be cloud first, but then they're not really ready. And I think the, that attitude is is there with everybody. I mean, there there's no company that doesn't have kind of a, a cloud first um, type of strategy, right? It's just like when, when mobiles came out and all the, the app developers were like, all right, we're going to be mobile first, right? It has to be a mobile app. And I, I think that- Oh yeah, and cloud. everyone had to have an iPad app and you're one of the iPad. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and and then it followed uh, with the with the watch and so on and so forth, right? But I I think what's happening on cloud is we're getting there to the adoption, but I think there's also a lot of uh, teams who haven't retooled, right? So, um, yeah, although they'd like to get there, they're not quite there. Um, so you know, you still see a lot of people shifting, um, you know, and using cloud as just a, a VM. But I, I think it's starting to change. And I think the cloud providers are pushing more of their uh, functions and, and some of the features they have to try to change that mindset, right? And and I think that's also because they want lock-in, right? I mean, if you're AWS or if you're Azure, you, you want that lock-in. And if they start to use a component, it's harder to walk away if it's just like a, a snap-in VM. But I think what's also happened is this is why you're starting to see um, containers. And, and I, I've started to change my mindset on containers where I was quite negative about it. But I, I think containers are kind of um, are, are going to stick long term uh, if you think about it. So it is changing. And, and I think the cloud providers are, are 
are the let's say the fuel to the fire helping it change because it's advantageous to them zach i don't know how you see it and if if it's kind of uh the same analogy or a little different from from your perspective well, you mentioned functions, so I, I think functions to me kind of skips containers. Maybe it, it's definitely a mix of the both of the two. Um, they're two different, you know, things more or less. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm not sold on this whole container world. I think there's, you know, lack of, um, you know, skills. There's still lack of experience. Um, I wonder how many of these are just projects in a lab, or there's, you know, they're tier two or three apps. Um, I think on the, you know, the the broader spectrum, we talk about cloud. Uh, I think of that, and I also think of, okay, well, if I think of Microsoft, um, yeah, you have Azure, but I think for them, you know, more of a, they're more of a SaaS to me, a lot of Office 365 and things like that. So when I think, what are the the applications that, that uh, customers are moving, right? They're going to SaaS. I think you're right. They're going, then you take a step down, looking at functions, you know, looking at low code, no code. And then you go a step down from there. It, it's to me, then it's this whole container world, right? Microservices. So when I think of that, and I'm curious what you think, Mike, uh, if you are, have an organization, I think you would first say, what can I put in SaaS, right? I mean, just the easiest route, right, to, to this stuff. So if that's Microsoft, I think Microsoft to me is SaaS, much like Oracle and, you know, whatever, Salesforce and whatever yeah, why else. Why would I, I provision a Windows yeah. server and exactly. put Exchange on it and the SQL server <laughs> Exactly, back exactly. Yeah. And, then, and then a step down, exactly. And then no code, low code, what can I do there? And then I look at the the other thing. So have we have we... Has have containers missed their window? And do you guys think they're? I, I hear you say you're coming around, Mike. But geez, it's been around for years. How long is it going to take for this to get adopted? Well, hold on. Let's let's look at what Dominic said earlier on, right? Like dabbled in cloud on the early days, and and now it's kind of different. Is isn't that the same thing that's happening with containers? Are, are the because I, I don't. I, I mean, think, I don't I think, think it is, but not perhaps in the sense that people expected it to be. I think containers are going to end up being like OpenStack was back then. The thing that's technically promising that all of the architects love, it shows up in everyone's diagrams and everyone's strategy and everyone's whiteboards. And it never actually goes anywhere because it's kind of um, neither flesh nor foul. It's uh, It's not simple enough that you can build a simple project in it and get started easily. But when you try to do something more complex than it, you trip over the, you know, the broken stubbed edges. It's, uh, I think it'll end up, I don't think Kubernetes is useless, but I don't think it's the way of the future. I think right. a few years from now, we're going to be looking at a world where it's it's all about function as a service. Yes. It's about serverless. Uh, there, there's not a container in the same way that there's not a VM. There's an underlying operating system, but it is truly stateless, immutable, you never touch it. Do you think we're going to see at some point everybody standardize on cloud and make it more acceptable to shift workloads? Because that's not there yet, right? And I think it's it's really hard. I mean, I, I kind of see Kubernetes as the driver there and maybe forcing them to change. Um, I, I don't know if, if, if that's something you guys think about to prevent the lock-in right and and i i think from my side i i worry about that that lock-in all the time uh, i think it well for me when i look at it i think who's making the decisions we talk about this a lot so if you're on the business side yeah containers a nice buzzword but their ears are, are glued to this low code no code and the whole SaaS. so you know i think the it guys are probably very you know let's be honest <clears throat> and i consider myself an it guy we're excited about containers and you know like you said kubernetes and what you can do with microservices and everything 
But does that excitement go anywhere or does it become another open stack? And it's funny you use that analogy, Dominic, because I agree with you. I think this is quickly becoming another open stack. It has some cool use cases, but has the window closed? And I, I think it depends who's making the decisions. But honestly, and by the way, let's be clear. When we talk cloud, to me, AWS and even GCP are, are developer clouds. GCP probably has a leg up, maybe, you know, machine learning and, and kind of the, what they're doing there. But, and I think Microsoft to me is more SaaS. I mean, offering, I mean, everybody you talk to is using OneDrive or, or you know, uh, Office 365, Office 365 voice. But all that being said, I, I agree with what Dominic was saying. Dominic, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I'm with you. Uh, the the goal back in the day, the the holy grail, if you will, was to have this cloud portability that you'd be able to provision a unit of compute that was portable between uh, your on-site VMware or OpenStack or whatever, uh, Amazon, what, what have you, Google. And it's that never really worked out, but for a reason that's not a technical reason, you could make it work technically, you could make it go, but by doing that, you were kind of missing the point. You weren't taking full advantage of any of those platforms because you were sticking to that. Uh, minimum common denominator of functionality that was available on all of them. And people who committed to one of the platforms went all in, actually got further than the people who tried to preserve that independence out of fear of perfectly valid fear of lock-in. What we're seeing now is a resurgence of the idea of multi-cloud, but at a different layer of the stack. People have accepted that yes. the way to get best value out of AWS is to commit to AWS and do AWS things in an AWS way. And the best way to get value out of Azure is to commit to Azure and do things in an Azure way. But when you're providing a software application or middleware layer that runs on top of both of those, and you're abstracting the details away from the end user, suddenly that conversation changes. Being running on both, it becomes a benefit, not a drag, to that end user, to that consumer. Because you can say, look, if one of the providers isn't in a region you need to be in, either for performance region, uh, reasons or for compliance reasons or whatever, uh, but the other is, well, good, you're there. If your main provider is X, but the other provider has some functionality you want to access, say you're an Azure shop, but you want to use Lambdas, um, let us span a little part of your application over to AWS transparently to you, and here you are, you can access Lambdas. Now, of course, there are all sorts of asterisks and fine print around data transfer costs, etc. There's no free lunch, but... I think that's uh, the the really interesting change in this generation, this round of that same conversation that we're resuming. And lots of people are trying to ride that. So I put an article in the show notes, which we'll link, uh, about IBM strategy. So one of the things that they, they got when they bought Red Hat is uh, OpenShift, which is this orchestration layer that lives above Kubernetes. And IBM has long had the strategy of packaging um, solutions uh, in my best consultant voice, uh, that will run on top of whatever and they, they provision technologies to deploy those solutions more easily at cloud sites. And so they're doing that again with the cloud packs. You can theoretically, with a push button and a whole bunch of IBM consulting, deploy these applications uh, in your environment. And I think that's an indication of where where the wind is blowing, where the, the enterprise customers are moving. You were going to say something, Zach? Yeah, no, I was, uh, when he was talking, I, I was thinking about one of the things he said. No, I agree that, um, yeah, whoever, you know, there might be a solution that's based on containers, but our enterprises going in that direction. I, I like that. I think you're right. You know, there's probably some certain use cases, 
Um, but yeah, no, I, I think, uh, you know, I think I want to disagree on something, Dominic, but I agree with what you said. I think you're right. <laughs> I mean, I remember the, uh, an event years and years ago. I was in Paris. I was on a panel on stage and there was a, a guy from a large enterprise IT company, which is now defunct and is split into various arms focusing on printers. Um, and on one side of me and on the other side, there was... Uh, someone from Schneider Electric, which owns APC and a whole bunch of other things. So the guy from HP, oh, no, I said it. Oh, how terrible. Uh, <laughs> was going on about how people don't own their own power stations anymore. And so the argument that uh, he was making was back in the day, they should buy everything from HP and HP would run it for them in a data center owned by by HP. And so, of course, he just left me this huge open goal as I turned to the guy on the other side of me and said, well, as my friend from Schneider Electric will tell you, people might not own power stations, but they sure do buy a ton of batteries and generators and things like that. It's it's never quite as complicated or quite as simple as people would tell you. If someone tells you it's so simple, you just sign here, then you should be afraid. You should check that your, your wristwatch is still on your wrist, that your wallet is still in your pocket. Vice versa, if someone tells you it's too complicated, we can't do it, it'll never work here, again, you should check their biases and work to confirm that. The truth is somewhere in the middle. Every time there's one of these changes, it is going to require effort and it is going to require to reevaluate some things which you hadn't really thought about before because they were just obvious. But on the other hand, there are going to be a whole bunch of benefits. And I think we're at one of those turning points in cloud where people are realizing, wait a minute, all of a sudden, all of these benefits are available. I can do things that I couldn't do. Uh, I've told this story before about building uh, an application for the first time in many years. Earlier this year, actually, right before lockdown. So a bunch of it was actually written in the lounge at Frankfurt Airport. And it was amazing to me just how much I could build in a browser window, effectively, or you know, a terminal connected to uh, this backend environment without ever installing anything, provisioning anything, and in a way that would have been almost entirely impossible for me to replicate locally. Building a local environment would have been a major effort, a major exercise, and it wouldn't actually have netted me anything. Connecting to this remote backend was a couple of clicks to set it up, and then I was off and running and building my app, the things I actually cared about. That's the reality that a whole lot of people are waking up to. And again, for new apps, they're not throwing out the existing apps at work, but any new app that they're building is being built in that world. You know, the, the thing is, it, it comes down to execution and ability and the know-how. And I think with so many features and products, I like I, I don't know if it's always been this way, but it feels like what, what cloud has done is it's made anybody a player. Anybody who's willing to develop an app, a feature, or anything, what, what the, the cloud players have as, as options, there is so much out there that I think one of the main things that your people have to have in these companies is that they have to be willing to experiment and to learn. And it's when you don't have that ability or willingness on the, the people's front or, or your employee's front that you get stuck in in a legacy world, I, I want to say, and doing the same thing over and over. But then again, there's also a, you know, half of, half of these apps and features are going to be gone. Then, then what, I mean, how, how do you, I, I don't know how companies are targeting what they're encouraging their employees to learn and, and go out and, and absorb that. That's also kind of a, a tricky play, or, or maybe it's the fact that you need people who can, 
pretty much pick up anything and run with it like like you did in Frankfurt Airport, right, Dominic? I mean, it, it's it, it's becoming a bit challenging in in that respect. I, I would say the proliferation of, of of everything happening. That is true. I mean, unfortunately, I quoted William Gibson last time around, but I'm going to do it again. You have to be pretty technical to even aspire to crudeness these days, and it's it did require me to unlearn a whole lot of reflexes that I had and just be willing to embrace the new way of doing things. But then again, I mean, people are going to be coming up into the into this world in a, along a different path than we all did. So we all came up through this world of we built home computers. So we, you know, I installed the video cards in our gaming PCs and worried about interrupts and all of these types of things. Reinstalled our operating systems, recompiled our kernels. That gave us the bridge into the enterprise IT of our day, and the enterprise IT nowadays is no longer like that but it does fit with uh, the sort of environment that the kids are growing up with now where everything's online everything's as a service uh, you log in and go with a credit card so think about what we're saying you said something earlier mike you said experiment and learn that that's a lab and so i, I think how much of this will stay in but what you're saying is the epitome of what happens to a lot of even some you know some great software products right vmware comes to mind with their nsx a lot of that it's still in labs. It's been in labs for years, you know, five, seven years. You know, they have they are gaining traction um, in the enterprise, but just not as much. So I, I think when I hear that from you, I think, oh, lab, you're right. They, they, we have to give them the time to do that. But do we really have the time? And then the second thing is when we say cloud, think about what we're saying here. We're saying they, they have to evolve. I mean, you know, we're talking 10, 15 years now with cloud or maybe it's 10. Uh, and John Chambers said uh, a couple of years ago that companies now must reinvent themselves like it's five year cycles, I think. So is when I when I when I say do cloud companies have to reinvent themselves, um again, I think Microsoft's in a different boat than even Google, than even AWS. But what do you guys think? I mean, is it time for these cloud companies that they, they haven't to evolve? Or or are you like AWS and you're sitting on approximately 200? I think we're close. We're at 191 to start the year on services. Well, think about that, right? So, what, what do you guys think? Are clouds do they have to change? They're still they're still absorbing more and more market, right? And they're still growing. So until you until that growth curve starts to slow down, they don't need to um, reinvent themselves i feel all right but i will say one thing all right aws clearly the biggest so they're they're going to continue to add features and, and continue to grow right not really reinvent themselves i think the other players need to need to look at a bit of reinvention like when microsoft puts out their numbers on on the growth of azure i, I think it's exactly what you said are they content really with the SaaS that's growing or do they want some of that aws uh part of it and then i think what you see on the gcp side is and, and maybe dominic can talk more to this on the, on the technical side but they're starting to become or allow more portability i think athos is the mm -hmm. feature they announced yeah yeah anthos yeah so so they are you know, you know, GCP is already thinking like part of the business is better than, all, uh, you know, you know, part of the business better than none of the business where the others are kind of going for the, the complete land grab. Right. Um, that, that's yeah, which is the interesting contrast. So uh, you go to an Amazon event and Amazon will tell you in so many words, thou shalt not mention multi-cloud. Uh, Multi-clouds cannot appear in your booth wording, in your presentations, uh, on your screens. Multi-cloud is a no-go. 
And so we're all using these euphemisms last year at reInvent <laughs> to get around this. But multi-cloud, hybrid, any of that, no. There is no cloud but Amazon. Amazon shall be your, your cloud. You go to a Google event or a Microsoft event, it's completely the opposite. They embrace multi-cloud, they talk about it, but they also do it. And you mentioned Anthos, they've already started releasing some of their own services. Google was the first, they released BigQuery uh, running on uh, multiple clouds, not just Google clouds. Uh, and that, at least as far as I know, uh, is the first time a cloud provider has released a first-party service outside of their own cloud. So something of their own that runs outside of their own cloud. And that's kind of significant. It's one thing to say it, we're committed to multi-cloud, meaning please software developers, ISVs run on our cloud as well. And it's a completely different thing to say, look, our services are also running on other clouds. That's drinking your own champagne in a big way. Well, here's a note to Oracle out there. Everybody from Oracle, I know you guys are jumping up and down if you're listening, saying that we have cloud, we have cloud. Well, we welcome you to come on the show and talk about your cloud. Crickets, is, crickets. Was that? Yeah. <laughs> was that serious? No. That, I mean, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, look, look right? if you talk to an Oracle person right now about cloud, you don't think that Mike try it? Just call them and say, hey, uh, I'm looking at a cloud offering. I don't think you guys have one. They'll go crazy. They'll start talking to you about cloud. Yeah. So for the listeners, I feel I should specify this was not planned. This was not in the show. <laughs> this happened live. Mike's and my reactions were real. This was our real what, what, what did I say that was wrong? What did I say that was wrong? I, I, they have no, cloud, nothing right? that was wrong. Oracle will push the clouds. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. I think their investment <laughs> patterns show that they're not fully serious about the cloud. And this is a classic case, going back to what I was saying about multi-cloud, <laughs> it's strategy tax versus strategy credits, right? Uh, for for Google to say multi-cloud, there is no downside for them. They have a relatively small percentage compared to the other two of the cloud market. For them to say multi-cloud, it's all upside. They're not risking losing much of their own share and they, they can gain a whole lot of relevance and potentially a bit of share from the others. For Amazon, why would they mention multi-cloud? Why would they acknowledge that there are other clouds? They own this market. They own the mindset uh, to a very large extent. There's no reason that they would do it. And Oracle's in kind of the same boat. And they they talk about cloud. They give it lip service, but it really doesn't fit with their actions, with their incentives. Uh, They are very comfortable on-premise charging for that. And... To do anything different would be actually really difficult. It would be really hard. I mean, I've seen that from the inside, and the statute of limitations has expired. But at BMC, I think everyone agrees at this point, has kind of missed the boat to be a relevant uh, vendor ever again. It's, uh, it's an also-ran at this point, uh, which is still big. It still has a huge presence. It's still got some valuable products but it's no longer relevant in the way that it has been in the past. And why? Because it missed the boat. Salesforce exists Mm -hmm. because BMC never offered Remedy on a subscription service in the cloud until it was too late. They left that door open, Salesforce marched through. But I was at BMC at the time. This was a conversation that we were having. We should do this. We should do this. Customers are asking for this. Customers want to buy it out of uh, their operational budget, not their capital budget. And as long as we sell this way, we can't do it. But the impact of doing that would have been too big. The CFO would have had to explain to Wall Street why we had two years of lean returns ahead of us before the strategy could even hope to work. And nobody was ever willing to to pull that trigger. 
that that's like BlackBerry when they laughed at uh, the iPhone, like oh, this tech stuff will never will never work. And these and PC pains, guys won't just walk yeah. in here. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it it pains my heart as a Canadian to to say it, but <laughs> I mean they missed everything. I mean they missed the App Store, they missed iTunes. They like it wasn't just a touchscreen, right? That that's the key thing. You know, back to Oracle. I mean, look. I mean, if anybody tells me Oracle, we think database, right? And uh, okay, they got ERP and they got yeah, whatever cloud offering. But yeah, yeah, they're the Cisco of their world. I mean, that's what they are. Yeah, yeah. Look, look. No one is is making a choice on a on a database and and picking Oracle, you know. And and if there is a a a fresh a a company there who's making a database choice and for the first time uh, choosing Oracle, let me know because that's the stock I need to short, right? But I mean, look, the it's true, though. I mean, look, the Oracle and IBM strategy right now is to hold on to all the business you have. You are not growing your book of business. There are no new customers coming to you. If you look at the, the vendor landscape out there, the vendors who are more important to a lot of enterprise companies are not the vendors that were there uh, 20, uh, you know, 10, 20 years ago, they have completely changed. And I think that's a, a tell of the times. I mean, I think like cloud, look, it, it's... You know, even GCP is a hard stretch to say that you're going to make a choice on GCP. I, I think it's it's kind of like the... Well, you might low... for certain workflows for TensorFlow or yes, that TensorFlow. type of thing. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. You know, it, it's, it, but it's more like of a, you know, I, I, I see companies making that decision. It's a bit of a risk play, right? Risk, cost, and, and okay, you know, there's the two biggest ones. I think well, you're you know, never sure when Google might kill it as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. 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 Yes. The the thing with Amazon is, you know, we we complain about Amazon, you know, about their monopoly trends or, or what they're doing in in um, in in the real world. But I mean, I'm so loyal to to Amazon. I mean, you know, Amazon is is so. You know, they deliver me packages. I push a button. It happens. I mean, their app and the way their company operates, it's like, gosh, I want to replicate that. So, you know, you have an attachment to AWS because you're like, man, look at what these guys are doing in their business. If we use their stuff, we can make the same thing happen in ours. Like we want to become the Amazon of our industry, even though Amazon could take your industry and just squash it immediately. Right. So, you know, there's there's this like loyalty perspective in, in, in all of this. So, well, yeah, yeah, the I, genius of Amazon that they offer this platform, both in their retail operations and in their AWS operations. It's a platform that is so easy to consume. It's so easy to work with the financial incentives all point only one way. That's what drives their presence in the market. Everyone else is trying to compete on other dimensions because Amazon has locked that one up. What do you think the, the biggest use case is for Amazon? Mike, if you're sitting there and you're having a, a project coming up or you, you need to move an app, I mean, what, you think of Amazon because of what? Is it because, hey, I get the compute services, I don't have to store it you know, on-prem? Um, do you think of it, uh, what, what makes you go there? What drives you there over the other clouds? Well, I, I mean, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, um, it's the whole, it's the, how do you put it? But it's, it's the whole big picture, right? I mean, they just... You can trust Amazon, but I think it's the same with with Microsoft. You, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to take your developer's recommendation because, I mean, what's really weighing AWS versus Azure at this point in time? You, you know, I, I think, you know, what you said, Zach, and what you keep saying about this is a developer cloud, this is a SaaS cloud, you know, what's the level of your developers and what do they 
prefer. I think that's what well, that's what's making a decision these days, right? And and to be honest, I think you have to have a foot in both if you want to really be uh, be safe and 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 understand the the true differences, right? I mean, they'll tell you. I mean, from a sales perspective, they'll tell you anything you want to hear and, and prove that they're better than the other, no matter what, right? I mean, they got their marketing. Uh, they're marketing down packed, as as you guys know, and um, you know. So I, I would say you want your foot in both, right? In in all three, I would say. I mean, to me, the difference between the big two and the also ran is that AWS and Azure offer packaged offerings. They'll give you a, a reference architecture, a blueprint. They'll give you developer tutorials all of that type of thing stitched together, their disparate offerings. I would actually say Azure is a little bit ahead of Amazon in doing this. It can still be overwhelming to look at that massive list of Amazon services and figure out how to wire them up together to do something. And Google is like, yeah, here's some stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but I think that's because Microsoft has been selling to enterprises for so long and that they, they just that market. Yeah, they just understand it so much better. Where where AWS, I, I don't think they're in the rooms yet with with a lot of CIOs, and I, I think that's where they struggle. They're talking to developers, and yeah, maybe good, maybe bad. But you want to be talking to the top of the stack. Ideally, you want both. Yeah. Well, you know. All right. So. <laughs> I'm going to go back to something we've talked about a few episodes ago, back in, back in as a service. I think once this it comes into shape, into focus, and it will the next year or two, all this back end stuff, I think then the no-code movement really accelerates. Uh, then your, your, your use cases widen and everything, you know. So I go back to what we started saying at the beginning, right? We started with containers and, you know, Kubernetes and microservices, all this great stuff. Have we missed that window? So I'm going to go on record as saying, I, I think we have. I mean, I, I think it's going to be there for... For some use cases, but I don't see it exploding and growing. Um, but then I also want to go back to something else we we're talking about. I mean, I hear you, what you guys are saying on AWS. I absolutely there's some interesting things there. But um, again, a company's going to look at SaaS and they're going to look at the low code, no code, and then from there they'll see there are the use cases. I do you guys really think that? Uh, I mean, even SAP is is kind of struggling, right? What were their earnings, Mike? A couple weeks ago, wasn't it? Uh, to, uh, not, not, yeah, not, not good, not good. I mean, yeah, yeah they're they're struggling. So yeah. these guys have to reinvent, or I don't know. I just uh... Uh, we could have a, a whole a, a whole show on uh, the big ERP players, but I, I think that's a market that's changing as well. Um, yeah, definitely. So let's uh, save that. Let's go deep into that one properly in a future episode because I think that's also a really interesting conversation. Um. But uh, I think there's been a, a good chat about cloud. I think we've reached some interesting conclusions. Um, let's go to recommendations and then wrap up. So I had a recommendation. Uh, so I'm sure given the audience of this show, many of you will be familiar with uh, Charlie Stross uh, and his Laundry File series. For those of you who haven't, think Dilbert meets Call of Cthulhu. I think that's a fair description. So it's an office IT drone in a world in which all of the Call of Cthulhu nightmares, the Lovecraft nightmares are all real. Uh, and then the British Secret Services get involved. Uh, so it's a really fun read. This is volume 10 in the series. Some of the old characters that we've been following along until now are not in this book, except as background characters, uh, which I was a little bit suspicious of, but it absolutely works. Uh, so I highly, highly recommend that. And unusually, but volume 10 of a series, this is not a bad place to start with if you're a new reader. Or go right back to the beginning. It's just super fun read. 
Zach, did Kaza Zulu go over just my head or, or am I like, I feel like I'm in bizarre world right now, but you, you got that, right? No, I didn't get that, but I wasn't going to admit it. All right. All right. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's, let's HP Lovecraft, the, the monsters. No, 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 no idea what you're talking about. No. But great, great recommendation, Dominic. Great recommendation. <laughs> let's let's come back you to our world. Material for next week. <laughs> let's come back down to planet earth. Uh, I think for me, my recommendation and, and many of you may already be using this, but, I just reminded myself that I use this all the time, at least in my emails, uh, predominantly and Grammarly. So for those of you that aren't familiar, Grammarly is an AI powered writing tool. Uh, it looks for, you know, spelling, syntax, punctuation, tone, plagiarism, but it just helps you. Do, do I take all the recommendations? No, but I take about 90% of them. It, it is, uh, I think, much more advanced than what Google's trying to do with their predictive, uh, you know, uh, text or, or typing or emails, I should say. Uh, there is a freemium model. There's paid tiers, uh, but check it out. Uh, it'll be in the notes, but it's grammarly.com. Um, I, I find it useful. I know you have some thoughts on it, Dominic, and Mike as well. Yeah, I'm going to violently disagree with you. I hate violently, violently disagree. <laughs> yeah. You're never you know, violent. You've been you've been locked up too long in Italy. Get out! Come on, it makes me punchy and stabby. Oh, punchy! <laughs> oh. No, it's, uh, it's like the there's this feature in the G Suite now that tries to correct your grammar, and it's like, no, no, I really meant that. That was the effect I was going for. I just want a way to turn off all of these helpful things. It's like how in Google you can never ever search for an exact string anymore. Like, oh, do you mean something that's textually adjacent to the thing that you meant? No, I meant something with that exact string. Oh, do you mean something that has referenced a page that contains that string? <laughs> no, damn you, I want that exact string. <laughs> And wow. you cannot tell it. I just want a search window where I can put some quotes in and some Boolean logic and this or that, not that, and make it go. And so Grammarly just pushes all of my buttons in the wrong way. I would rather send something out with uh, a typo in it than deal with Grammarly. I just about tolerate the little red squiggles. Anything that pops up and offers to change my writing, oh, my oh no. <laughs> you know, I, if from a G Suite perspective, I mean, hell, if, if Google recommends it to me to change it, I, I change it, even if it doesn't make sense <laughs> to me, because I, I just assume I've been writing incorrectly my whole life, and my English is terrible. That's that's where, yeah, yeah, there's a... Oh, I, there's a yeah, so anyway. Uh, oh, well, I, uh, for, I realize I'm a throwback. I write in a plain text editor. I use a VI. I, Grammarly is not going to work for me probably, but still. That is, you that is your, your word that sets you off, Grammarly. That, that's your word. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, VI text editor, there you go. But um, no, my recommendation, I mean, since uh, Zach recommended uh, Oracle, I feel like I should be recommending Winamp to listen to MP3s, but I won't. I choked but, on my uh, water. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, uh, uh, Aura Ring. I, I have an Aura Ring to track uh, sleep and make sure I'm getting enough and the right type of sleep. And, uh, you know, I've been up since 3 a.m. It doesn't look good today. But um, yeah, definitely uh, the Aura Ring if uh, you want to give it a try. And uh, they, they also had some um, some surveys and, and studies this year to uh, predict uh, COVID a little early. Um, and, and they've I have actually been part of that study and, and sent in like uh, gone for antibody tests with them. So it's it's quite interesting. The NBA used it. Uh, very highly recommend. So there you go. I definitely want to buy one, but I, I think they were this was back in May or June. Of course, they were sold out. Um, but I, I still want one for sure. And by the way, I don't know that I recommended Oracle, but I, I just brought them up. Oh, OK, OK, OK. We, we, well, we'll put the words in your mouth. So there, there you go. But, 
Well, that oh, sounds man. great. That'll keep us all going for the weekend. Uh, maybe Mike can send us pictures of his ring. Uh, yes, we'll, we'll I'll, 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 I'll do that. It, it is, it never changes color. It, the app tells you Dominic. So yeah, it's not a mood ring, not a mood ring. So there you go. Right, right. Well, thank you both for an entertaining conversation as ever. Uh, next week, the schedule's probably a bit disrupted due to my US colleagues uh, busy with their turducken, but we will still have an episode for you. Just not entirely sure when that'll post, but it'll show up in your feeds whenever it does. Uh, in the meantime, you can always uh, catch up with us on Twitter at Roll4Enterprise with the number four or on our LinkedIn page, of course. And please do send us your comments, suggestions, feedback. I still haven't pulled the trigger on a curvy monitor. I'm not 100% convinced, although I am getting close. I've still got that tab open. Um, so if you do have strong feelings about your monitor, whether you like it or you hate it and you want to warn me off it, do send those my way. But in the meantime, have a great weekend and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. It's been fun as usual. Yeah, Thank thanks, you. guys.